Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Crimes, Killers, Colts. And beer. And beer. And sorry I coughed during the intro there. Jesus. I was like, you're the worst. You're, you're forgiven, <laughs> I guess. Right. <laughs> I have the worst luck when it comes to stuff like that. Anyway. Just two crazy Florida men drinking beer, talking about true crime. Yeah. Except today, except today it's three crazy Florida men yes. drinking beer and talking about true crime, although one probably doesn't con- consider himself a Florida man, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, born and raised in New York City. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a transplant of the Florida, to the Florida oh, area. You could still call your, you could still wear the title. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I love if, you want, if you wanted to. <laughs> So, anyway, that's Todd. And that's Bill. And that's our good friend Vic Ferrari making his his return visit to our podcast. We had him on for episode 49. It was a fun, fun episode. And um, we've got him on back with us today to discuss something that he knows quite a bit about. (laughs) Because we're doing our second Mafia episode. This time we're covering (laughs) Don Gotti. Yes. Anyway, Vic, good to see you again, sir. Thank you for coming back. Guys, thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, no, we appreciate it, brother. And um, I just want to I just want to say before we get started, um, this episode and the, our previous episode on Sammy Gravano are going to overlap. They're going to. They have to. But um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and work around it. I'm just gonna do this one as if the other one didn't exist. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I'm not going to try to be like, okay, well, I'll leave this part out or explain it differently because I said this in the Sammy Gravano episode. Nope, not going to do that. No. That episode does not exist. This is its own standalone episode. Yes, it is. That's <laughs> why we brought Vic here because we get Vic's unique insight into things. Right, and I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to get one star reviews so that they said the same thing two weeks in a row. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know that'll happen. Yeah, we get called monotone again. Yes. Oh, yeah. Does Vic know about our first hate mail? <laughs> Listen, when you, put yourself, when you put yourself out there, be it an author, a podcaster, and, and you want the public to watch your content, there's just going to be people that aren't happy with it or they're contrarian. You know, they like to be contrary and they're just going to ding you on the reviews. You got to have thick skin and just. You know, it's 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 just the it's the price of the cost of doing business when you put yourself out there. Oh yeah. Oh, we we gave her a shout out on the next episode that we recorded. <laughs> she we said did. we were monotone. We're anything but monotone. <laughs> I, I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> anyway. yeah, I'm writing I'm writing a book. Vic. <clears throat> oh really? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I started it, um, and I'm gonna have to try to learn to do that dedicate one hour a day to it thing that authors talk about because I've written the first two chapters and that's about it. <laughs> do, you, do yourself a favor. I mean, I, I mean, I always have advice for first time authors. Try not to write in chronological order because it'll become overwhelming for you. Pick a part of your book that is enjoyable to write. It's the easiest part of the book. You know, that's going to be the focal point or just something that a story you've told a million times start there. And then when you get writer's block, you move around and then you just tie it together like a Seinfeld episode. Because if you just start with the beginning, the first chapter, the second chapter, and you're not disciplined enough, it's going to be overwhelming and you'll never get it done. Also, you don't have to dedicate an hour because 
it's almost becomes like hallmark. So if you say, all right, tomorrow between three and four o'clock, yeah. I have to write. Well, that's great. But now it's like a homework assignment. And just try to get up in the morning. When you're having your coffee, bang out a couple of things. When you have free time, bang out a couple of things. Before you go to bed, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Because when you put less pressure on yourself to write, you'll see that that 20 minutes will be the hour. As opposed to you saying between three and four. And then, and then you know, you, you write a half a page and like, shit, I wrote 150 words. What, what, did, what did I just spend an hour of my life doing? Right. Okay, that's good advice. I appreciate. Yeah, don't that. don't make it work, dude. Make it something that you enjoy doing. Because that's, I mean, that's basically what Vic was saying. Don't make it work. Right. You know what I okay, mean? Because then then you're forced to write shit that you don't care about. So I'll just write the climax. <laughs> whatever, whatever, it, whatever you know forward and backward is going to write the easiest thing at first. So so Bill's Bill's going to write the sex scene first because. There's no sex scene in it. Not yet, anyway. Dude, you said climax, dude. What else is oh. climax? That's a sex scene. You're talking about... I could, put one, I could put one in there. Maybe maybe, maybe, maybe the guy could rape one of his um, victims. No, 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 no. Don't use the R word, man. No R word. <laughs> so. You know what day and age we're living in. I mean, as much as I hate it, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Okay, well, um, and I... Do you have to do a little bit of, um, you know, make a little addendum on last week's episode? Um, and there was a there was a part where I said that it um, was Ruggiero's brother who went who went down in the arrest for for drugs, or, mm-hmm. who had taken over the drug ring. It wasn't Ruggiero's brother. It was actually John Gotti's brother, Gene. Oh, I don't know how I got that mixed up. I don't know I, either. That came out in my research for John Gotti. I was just like, oh, okay, well, I better, you know. Put well, that clear well Angelo, Angelo Ruggiero's brother, I think it was Sal, if memory serves me correctly, was was the biggest importer for a while of heroin in, in New York City. He, um, he was a fugitive, and um, he died in a private plane crash. I think it was over South Carolina. And north oh, wow. of South Carolina, and then Angelo Quack Quack took over his brother's business as far as the contacts. And I think oh, they, um, in one of the books that I read, they went to his house out in New Jersey, and he had products sitting there. And Ruggiero went on to be the importer that his brother was. And you are right; there was a lot of the Gotti's guys that were in heroin. Um, um, what was the name? Just one of the, one of the Carniglia brothers. Um, his brother, uh, what was John Gotti's brother? The one that went, that went away for heroin trafficking, Gene, Gene. Yeah. Gene, Gene Gotti and John Caniglia. So yeah, a lot of the guys around Gotti, I don't know if Gotti was involved in heroin himself, but a lot of the guys he was around were either arrested for it, um, or went to jail for it. Um, Tony Rotrampino was another guy. He was an associate. He got caught up on a state charge. He died in prison. Um, but he was in jail for many years on heroin tracking. And like I said, John's brother was in jail. Uh, John Carnegie was in jail. Um, there were a couple of Mark Ryder. So there was a lot of guys around Gotti. I don't know if Gotti himself benefited from it, but the guys around him and associated were, were big time, um, drug traffickers. Okay. See, this is why we wanted to have you on. Yes. <laughs> Dude. And, and, and the quack quack, 
I, dude, I feel like Captain America in the first Avengers movie. Like, I got that reference. <laughs> Only because we did the fucking the, the Sammy episode last week, and I'm just like, when you said what whoever it was, quack quack, and I'm like, I know that, I got yeah. that. <laughs> so, so, um, all right, let's get started. Um, yes, John Gotti was born in the Bronx on October 27, 1940. His parents were immigrants. He had a rough childhood. He was one of 13 kids, which. That's Jesus. <laughs> Condoms, but, people. Condoms. But it was common, though. You know, it was common back then. And oh, I know. His dad had a back-breaking job that didn't pay squat, and he was picked on in, in school because he had ragged clothes, and he would even wear mismatched shoes sometimes. So I've he had to learn how before. to fight. He had to learn how to fight early on. So... When he was a teenager, his parents moved to Brooklyn, and things did get a little bit better for them, but at that time, Gotti had joined a street gang, and he had also learned how to hustle. And that famous, that swagger that he's known for, um, that actually, that, you know, where he kind of walks around like with the, everybody thought it was like a strut, like kind of the Vince McMahon strut or whatever. Mm. That's not what it was. He had actually, um, he had actually, broke into a construction site and he dropped a piece of heavy machinery on his foot, crushing several several of his toes. And so he had to walk with a limp for the rest of his life, but he played it off like it was a swagger. <laughs> oh, see? That's you cool. Sne- you sneaky bastard, you. <laughs> uh, but, uh, dude, I, I know somebody that does something like that. You know him too, Bill. I'm sure I do. But we won't but, go there. No. Uh, he was in a low-level crew that was actually part of the the, um, the Gambino family. It was kind of like a, a farming. Or, wait, Vic, was it the low-level crew that he was part of initially? Was that part of the? Um, well, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting mixed up. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm thinking about Sammy Gravano because Sammy Gravano started off off with the um with a different crew and then moved to the gang. Sammy Gravano started with a gang um, either in Brooklyn or Staten Island, but I think it was Brooklyn called the Rampers. It right. Was a, it was a, um, a street gang and I guess eventually it kind of morphed into a um, like a AAA affiliate for the mob. You know, like um, but the Columbus and that thing. happens. Like they, they start you young. Like guys will start hanging around the social clubs and stuff and it starts off with, I just did another podcast the other day, like in my neighborhood, you didn't even realize ways that the mob made money. So like in middle school and even in high school, I was bringing home gambling sheets. So there'd be a kid in school, usually Italian, and he would have those parlay sheets. So on the piece, of, it was a piece of paper about this big. It was like a card and you had all the Sunday football games. So Jets, Packers, Raiders, Saints, and you picked – if you, I think if you hit three for three, a dollar bet is a ten. You win ten dollars if you pick four out of five. It was better odds, you know, than than, than going to Vegas. So, and you could bet a dollar, two dollars. So, as kids, we were gambling in in middle school and high school. Like again, it was always an Italian kid whose uncle was in the mob or his, his father was in the mob. Oh. So you just saw things, and then later on. The guys, some of the guys I grew up with and went to school with, they, you know, they'd be hanging around the social clubs. They'd start off as gophers. And then th- basically what the mob is, is th- the mob is protection 
for street people that are doing things out of bounds. And you hook up with an, a mob. Uh, if you, you're going to be an associate with a family, you hook up with a made guy or a captain and you earn. And you're on record with this person. And whatever your scam is, you're a car thief, you're a drug dealer, you're running a credit card scam. The reason you, you're under the umbrella of one of these guys is if someone tries to rip you off or kidnap you or infringe on your business, you can, oh, whoa, whoa, I'm with. I'm with so-and-so. Yeah, I'm yeah. with Sally Sally the Hook. Well, I'm just making up a name. I'm with Sal the Hook. you got to go see him. So it's you don't get screwed with by other bad guys or another mob family doesn't land on you and try to claim you. Okay. Right on. <clears throat> And, so know, was you, so was Gravano was Gravano basically claimed from the Columbos by the Gambinos or did it just just gradually happen or was it like the Gambinos he, said we're well, I think he guys. was with the Rampers the, that that street gang and then um, Gravano was in the military for a while and I don't know if he was discharged or he did his time but he came home and the Rampers had basically grown up. And um, I think he was with, you are right, he was with the Columbos for a while. And I don't know the exact incident, but he was released from the Columbos, almost like a trade. He was released from the Columbos, and then he was put under um, a Gambino captain. And that's where he got his button and, you know, was an earner and eventually a killer. And that's how he became a made guy and then later on went into upper management. Yeah. Uh, the, I love the sports references here because yeah. that makes it like completely much more understandable yeah, it than really, anything really else. Does. <laughs> because I mean, I mean, I'm not a huge sports fan, but I got everything you said. Like, oh, the, that gang was like triple A, and I'm like, I got that. Re-, you know, again, I feel like Captain America in the first Avengers movie. I got that <laughs> reference. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, that makes it that makes it way more understandable than. The, like the stuff you can find on the internet or whatever. Now I get yeah, and, the, and the mob will, and a mob will use these young guys to send a message to somebody, say for argument's sake, they tell some guy to stay out of someone's business and the guy just kind of blows it off. They'll send a couple of these young guys who want, who eventually they want to be inducted into a family. So they'll do, you know, whatever work is asked mm-hmm. of them. So, Go over, you know, that pizzeria guy gave my daughter a problem or he's not falling in the line. He's not using my, my, uh, my linens company or whatever. Yeah. So when he's, when he's closing up, maybe one day this week, go in there and smack him around. Or when he's closing up shop, maybe wear an Abraham Lincoln mask and a baseball bat and give him a crack. You know what I mean? So he falls mm-hmm. in the line. So it's almost insulating themselves. Oh, but don't get me wrong. They'll use their own guys, but. If you've got young guys that are dying to get in, use them. Oh, hell yeah. No, that's, yeah, totally. Oh, no, that's so good, though. See? So, um, Anilio Dela Croce, um, or Neil, he first noticed Gotti. And Dela Croce was uh, high up in the Gambinos, and he liked Gotti's loyalty, energy, and work ethic. And he was ultimately responsible for bringing Gotti into the um, the Gambino family. I, I don't know if he was or he wasn't, but but at some point, yes, he he was very close with John Gotti. You got to remember, John Gotti was a hijacker. Um, right. John, John Gotti was a renaissance criminal. I mean, w- you know, wherever the money was, he was involved in it. And I'm talking about this as an associate. It's not like he was a guy that, you know, he was born into it. 
He had the fast tracked in. And the way Gotti got made and the way Gotti really, you know, went up the pecking order was there was there was this crew of Irish guys that were kidnapping families of the mafia in the early 1970s and holding them for ransom. And it was pissing the mob off to no point because they couldn't figure out who was doing it. And I think the guy's name was Manny Gambino, who was the um, nephew of the late, you know, Gambino crime family head, Carlo Gambino. Mm -hmm. They kidnapped him and something happened where this guy lost his life. I don't exactly know how it happened, but it happened. So the, uh, the Gambinos took a contract out on this guy in Staten Island by the name of James McBranty. I believe they thought he was involved in the, I don't know if he was involved in the homicide of Manny Gambino. He was or he wasn't, but they targeted him for death because they thought he was. So I've got, I've got that coming up in my notes. <laughs> okay. No, it's so, fine. So, no, it's, it's do, fine. So Gotti gets the contract and it's John Gotti, um, Angelo Ruggiero and another guy, um, Ralphie Wiggs Galeone, they go out to this bar out in Staten Island and posing as cops. And they're trying to say, all right, you're under arrest. You're coming with us. McBranty basically either is just doesn't want to deal with cops or he knows something's not right. He starts fighting with them. And one of the guys, I don't know if it's Angelo or the guy, um, Galeone killed this guy. He was doing a good job too. He was, he was holding his own. He was holding his own for a little bit. He was supposedly a rough guy. And, um, they wind up killing this guy in the bar. They get away. The cops arrest them. And Gotti and Ruggiero, Galeone is killed. And I don't know if Galeone is killed for, for, because he botched that hit or caused too much heat or there was something else. But out of the three of them, one is killed. And, um, through the Gambino crime family, um, there was a famous mob attorney by the name of Roy Cohen. Guy, the, mm-hmm. the guy was just, I mean, had more connections. And through the Gambino crime family, they secured Roy Cohen, who worked at a sweetheart of a deal for Gotti and Ruggiero, where they got off on a manslaughter charge. They did minimum time. I think it was under five years. Maybe they yeah. were sentenced to five years. They got out in three. He didn't do much time. And um, there's a really good movie. It's a 1970s movie. I think it came out in 73 called The Seven Ups with Roy Scheider. It's about... And, and it's actually the movie, the story is from Sonny, Sonny Grasso, who was an NYPD detective that was involved in the French Connection, French Connection case. It kind of goes into, it shows what was going on with these Irish guys that are kidnapping the Italians and holding them for ransom. And, you know, the mob didn't know, was this, was it a gang of cops doing this or was it banditos doing this? And it's a really good movie. It's loosely based on that story. Well, the um, Cone. I mean, he he represented Joe McCarthy in the 50s. Um, he prosecuted the, the Rosenbergs, and he even later re- represented Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, he was in – he's one of these guys that shows just shows up in American history. He, um, he Yeah, he was Joe McCarthy's protege as far as he was the one doing the <laughs> lifting during the McCarthy hearings. And then he went out into private service, and he became – you know, he was like a Bruce Cutler or uh, Shargell – or Ron Kuby or Kunstler of his time, but even I think even better and with more connections. Yeah, right. totally. Anyway, so um, he he Gotti then ap- after he was released, he became the captain of a crew in Queens, and and even early on, he he still you know walked with that swagger, that air quote swagger. <laughs> <laughs> 
the broken foot that was limp that he turned into fucking something and made him. Look I don't cool. think it was a broken foot. I th- I think he lost a Half piece. Of, he lost a couple of toes or a toes. Toe, All right, is if I read it correctly. Yeah, so he would become an, 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 a strict and intimidating captain, and he would fly off the handle at the slightest insult. And he would have anybody killed, and he he rode he rose through the the ranks um, with with loan sharking and you know uh, and with hijacking, and this shows that he was good with money and and that he could also be an, an effective enforcer. So um, when he was twenty two, he married Victoria. Di Giorgio, I guess, but <laughs> it was almost three. I couldn't then figure I, out where my camera was. I couldn't get my fingers up in time. My bad. Like then I gave, I bailed on it. But um, yeah, Gotti didn't really believe much in um monogamy, but Victoria was aware of everything that happened. And but I'm, although I'm sure that if she wanted to go around and mess with some other dude that she and that other guy would both be sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's funny how it works like that. Yeah. So they, they came from meager beginnings, not a lot of money. And she and one of their children were, were in the hospital one time. And this is how broke they were. And Gotti sneaked in and, and snuck them out after they had been treated and everything because he couldn't pay the bill. So they just, you just kind of, <laughs> It's like a prison break, but from a hospital. <laughs> now there's um, a movie. There's there's a low budget movie. Hospital break. <laughs> hospital break. <laughs> uh, they had five kids, and they lived in a small house in Queens. And he was great with his kids and his wife for the most part, but he always wanted to be a high ranking member of the mob. And one day, one of his kids was hit by a car and killed. And the man who hit him was a, a man, a, a neighbor of his named John. Uh, Favara, and it was ruled an accident. And Favara went went to them to apologize. And Victoria came. At, Victoria, not John, came at him with a baseball bat. <laughs> but Favara okay. was was later kidnapped by a group of men from his job, and he vanished. There are witnesses to the kidnapping, but no positive identification. Favara was never seen again, and it's believed that his body was dissolved in an acid barrel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah that that um that happened again you got to remember with Gotti um the when he rose to fame in 85 with the Castellano I wasn't even a cop yet so I mean all I know is from what I and I've never worked a case with you know any of those guys this was before my time I I love you know I'm I'm fascinated by organized crime I I read a lot of books my knowledge is from books and a lot of times you know everybody's got their there's three sides to a story right so yes. there's what oh, he yeah. said what she said the truth is somewhere in the middle but yes that man um, was an accident um, John Gotti's son unfortunately lost his life it was terrible the man vanished off the face of the earth. There's been a couple of people that have kind of filled in some of the pieces, but no one has actually put the whole puzzle together. And that is an unsolved side or an unsolved. I know the guy was declared legally dead after several years. And just the fact that, you know, there were witnesses that seen him getting pulled into a van, never to be seen again. So it's fair to say, you know, he's no longer with us. Yeah. He was handled. (laughs) He was handled. But um, Gotti had an alibi for this. He was supposedly away from in Florida when this happened. 
Yeah, I don't think he. I don't think he. His hands touched that at all. Nah, I mean it. It it, it was surprising to learn last week that Gravano only actually pulled the trigger on one of the nineteen hits that he was involved with. Yeah, I mean that 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 was kind of a um, shocker to me. I didn't see that coming. I thought that he was, you know, when he, when you hear Hitman, you think he's the one that goes out and you know does it. Yeah, but, but if, if if you're there, if you're involved in the planning, if you're a lookout. If you're the getaway driver, right, then you're um, culpable. Yeah, you're just as culpable as the guy pulling the trigger. And and if you're there, just as easily you could get hurt or killed. I mean, I worked on a case where we had these guys, um, car thieves up in the Bronx, and they were in the murder for hire business. One guy, um, we were able to basically close between 13 and 15 homicides on when we took that case down, one of his friends was the getaway driver in multiple homicide. And we had already, we, his, his buddy was already going down for at least 10 years, enterprise corruption, which is like the state charge, uh, Rico charge. Rico, and, yes. uh, you know, basically when that case came down, we pulled his buddy to the side. It's like, look, you're going for these homicides and we can put you, we can't put you at all of them, but we can put you at a lot of them. And you're going to jail for the rest of your life. So, you know, you might want to start talking. And he did. And he laid out chapter and verse, you know, this guy, this, this was a contract hit. We were paid to do this. There was, we actually, one of the the homicides was a contract hit up in Connecticut where it was interstate and uh, went federal where um, they went up there with a motorcycle and a U-Haul truck. They followed this guy around. When the guy stopped at a light, they pull up on a motorcycle the gunman shoots the guy multiple times. They take the motorcycle, drive it into a U-Haul truck, bring it back to the Bronx. And I don't know if they chopped it or tagged it or whatever they did, or buried it, whatever they did with the bike. But I mean, it was multiple homicides like this that his buddy would have gone to jail for the rest of his life or even possibly have gotten the death penalty. So he signed up with, you know, Team America. Right on. So by the... That's why I love having Vic on the show because <laughs> what we're talking about right now may be before his time, but he is bringing so much insight into it. Yeah. You know I'm what I mean? Yeah, dude, I love it, dude. Thanks, Vic. I appreciate yeah, you no being problem. here again, brother. Because, like, dude, your insight, like I said, you know, you said that this case was before your time, but you just, oh, yeah. you know how things work and you have, and I just, I love it. Thank you so much oh, for being welcome. here again, bro. Um, so, by the late 1970s, Gotti was a vicious captain, or capo, a rising star, a major money earner, and he feared nobody. So, in 1976, Carlo Gambino died of natural causes, and Neil, Neil Delacroce was the majority of, of the family's top choice to be the successor, but Gambino had chosen his cousin, Paul Castellano. And this pissed a lot of people off. And a couple of different factions popped up and people, you know, people who supported Castellano and people who supported Delacroce. Gotti, of course, was in the Delacroce camp and he didn't like Castellano. He thought he was weak. All right. And Castellano just wanted the money that his earners would bring in and he kept it to himself or he kept to himself. He didn't hang out in the clubs with his with his guys or anything that normal crime bosses do. He he was strictly a businessman, and and this was when God. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at that. That just that just sounded funny. Well, 
I mean, there's a certain way of doing things, and, and oh yeah, there's a, there's a stroke, there's a little bit of irony of 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 this of how they went from Castellano Castellano to Gotti. Well, they went from one extreme yeah. to the other as far as so, like, yeah, the way Don, of Don, Before Don Carlo dies, he names a successor, which is his cousin and brother-in-law, Big Paul Castellano, and Big Paul was a bit was I mean he was a thug, but he was also a business guy and. You know, by the time Carlo Gambino died, Big Paul Castellano was, and this going to sound ridiculous, but he was like the biggest chicken guy in New York City. I mean, he owned yeah, he had a he had multiple, a big plant, multiple processing places, uh, food stores. I mean, he was tremendous. Actually, during one of his trials, they they subpoenaed um, Frank Perdue. And wow. they said, you know, why were you dealing with him? And he says, he's the biggest chicken guy in New York. He's the godfather. Why else wouldn't I? I, I had yeah. to deal with him. Mm. So, I don't have a choice. Yeah, Big, Big Paul, you got to remember, his cousin ran New York. So he didn't have to do the high, you know, after he, as a young man, I think he got arrested for a bank robbery and a couple of minor things. But he went into... He, he went into more the business aspect and he was taking the fan. The family's never going to be a hundred percent legit, but you got to be able to hide your money. And okay. the best way to do that is acquiring legitimate businesses. And the mob, the mob works like this. So say you own a butcher shop and you're buying your meat from a wholesale guy that's owned by the mob. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, you can't, you, you're buying $5,000. I'm just giving raw numbers. You're buying $5,000 in meat from a mob affiliated place. And one day, you know, it's, you can't pay your bill. Oh, Vic, don't worry about it. Just put it on your tab. Well, after a couple of months, you owe forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. they are going to come in and they're going to go, well, today's the day we, we want to get paid. And there's one or two ways they're going to do it. Either now you've got a partner, right? And they're going to put their people in to watch it. And now basically you're a lackey in your own business or they're going to take it from you. And no. you don't go to the cops. You just pay. You owe them no. the money. You sign it over. Or like you saw in the more movie Goodfellas, they do a bust out where mm-hmm. they just start ordering. You just start ordering things on credit. And it's going out the back door. You order ordering meat from other different places that aren't mob affiliated. And that meat's going back to their wholesale place. Or you're charging tickets for vacation. And, and then basically the business goes under. You're free. You're free of debt from them. Your credit's all screwed up, or now you got a partner. You, you, you know, these people are now mm-hmm. a part of your life. So yep. that—that's how big Paul Castellano was. Whereas Delacroach, he was an old school guy. He never really forgot who he was. He was in, involved in gambling and loan sharking. And I'm guessing, like Big Paul, although he would take money from that side of the family, he kind of looked—he kind of looked down his nose at them, but he still took the money which pissed off the other side of the family. So you're right. There was a split after Don Carlo died, but Della Croce was a good soldier and um, big Paul to keep everybody happy said, okay, you're going to be my underboss, right. which was kind of like second runner up. Yeah. But Della Croce wasn't going to rock the boat. And he said, fine, but that still didn't sit well with the guys under Della Croce. And that was like his nephew, which was Angelo Ruggiero and John Gotti. Yeah. So, yeah, there was always that, you know, yeah, we got to work for this guy, but we really don't like this guy, if you know what I mean. 
Oh yeah, well, and that's that's one thing. Well, uh, we're gonna we'll get there. Uh, I was gonna bring, <laughs> I was gonna bring up Gravano again, but like I said, that episode doesn't exist right now. No. So we'll, we'll get there <laughs> um, because I I do have that I do have what where I was going in the notes. So, uh, mm-hmm. but this this was when Gotti first started setting his sights on Castellano, but Neil was able, you know, Delacroix, what he was able to keep Gotti and his people reeled in, but. Delacroix, shortly after Castellano became the, the boss, he died, which left um, Gotti unsupervised. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's more to it. So, yeah, well, this well, is well, what I want to hear. Well, Delacroix <laughs> is alive. Remember we were talking about earlier, a lot of the guys around Gotti, you know, so if, if Gotti was a captain, if I, I don't know the time period again, I don't want to misspeak, but let's just say Gotti was a captain. A lot of people around him were involved in drug trafficking. And Angelo Ruggiero got caught on a wiretap and was arrested and charged federally with heroin. I think it was heroin trafficking. So mm-hmm. Big Paul Castellano is pissed. And as you would Big be, Cast- Big Paul Castellano goes to Della Croce and says, you know, so when you get arrested and things are going to trial, the government has to hand over, they have to show their cards. They have to, mm-hmm. they have to provide wiretap information. They have to provide to your defense attorney. So you can, Oh, okay. Cause so, I was, because that, that's literally, it, it, it's almost like you, you know, my notes by heart because. You, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I follow this stuff. So, Right. He used to be a detective. He I knows know. That, yes. But I was, I was curious. <laughs> I was curious about, you know, because, um, in, in the, there's, there's Delacroce on, on tape or, um, Castellano, who was like demanding the tapes. And I was like wondering well, so how Castellano, the hell. So, so Castellano through Delacroce is telling, I want those tapes. I want to review because obviously when they got arrested, they're like, no, Paul, we're not involved in heroin trafficking. It's a bullshit case. Blah, blah. So big Paul is like, okay, great. I want to listen to those tapes. But in addition to him being, you know, Angelo and the guys around Gotti being caught red handed on these wiretaps, Ruggiero is speaking about big Paul disparagingly. And oh no, he knows if those tapes, big Paul is going to have him killed might have Gotti killed. They might clean house. They might take out a whole crew. Of, even though these guys were very dangerous, there was the thought, well, someone's going to get killed over this. So there's right. a wiretap, and I, I, it's either in Delacroce's house or when he was in the hospital, and he's like, the boss is the boss is the boss. He wants those tapes. And Angelo is, is arguing, saying, I can't give up those tapes. There's people going to get hurt over these tapes. So Delacroce is, is, is very ill, so Castellano is giving him a little bit more time, but they know once Delacroix can't protect them anymore, once, you know, he's going to die of cancer. So that's where they, Gotti and his people got together with Gravano and, and Frank DiCicco out in Brooklyn, where they were able to get, you know, a rival faction together to take out big Paul Castellano because they knew that he would either at the, at the very least break up their crew but more than likely, there was going to be a couple of people killed over it, so they took the preemptive strike and went after Big Paul. Right. Um, so, and and it right here is where you know is where the the quack quack name first comes up. And it was, it, Ruggiero was, um, you know, he had a big mouth. He liked to talk, and he he loved to talk. He he liked to talk as much as I do, but um, <laughs> but he um, but. 
he would talk to about things that he shouldn't be talking about, and that earned him the name Quack Quack. Quack Quack. I love that. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, the old timers wouldn't talk on a phone. I mean, the old mobsters, I mean, guys, you know, they, they would, and and sometimes if they didn't need, if they didn't know you that well, they'd bring you into a room and run water or take you someplace where there was a lot of noise just in case someone was listening. I mean, mm-hmm. some of them old time guys wouldn't even have a phone in their house. But yeah, unfortunately, I mean, and everybody knows how easy it is nowadays to tap a phone, but you know, guys, they still, they let their guard down. Right. Dude, Google is listening. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that too. Yeah, damn AI is fucking controlling the world right now. And I mean, dude, it, you know what, yeah. dude, it's not even Google. It's Google's AI because you oh, know, I- you give, you give your phone permission, dude. As soon as you talk about something, boom, that's all the ads you get. It's oh, and I'm sure, I'm about. sure. I'm sure that I'm on a list somewhere because of all the shit that I go, you know, look at. <laughs> Dude, you and me episodes. both, brother. You and me both are on a list somewhere. <laughs> because, yeah, we Google some crazy stuff. Like, why are they Googling that? <laughs> so, but, um, why does this guy want to know how to make a bomb? I get in the head of the guy that I'm doing on a podcast. I don't want to make a bomb. So, but you Googled it. <laughs> so, Patriot so, Act. Uh, Castellano, I'm just going to kind of breeze through this because, um, oh, Vic, Vicky already covered it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, he Cast- gave us like information that you weren't going to give us. <laughs> this is true. So Castellano didn't want to be involved with the drugs because if you caught with, if you get caught with them, it's physical evidence and you're pretty, you're pretty much guilty. Well, if you're caught guys, with drugs the old timers, the old timers would take, see, the, the thing is, the, the quickest way to go – murder back then was a part of the job in the mob, right? Like if someone stepped out of line or sometimes yeah. to make an example of somebody, they'd kill you. Now, the, the two quickest way to go to jail for the rest of your life is a homicide or a drug charge because federal guidelines and even with the – in the state of New York with the Rockefeller laws that came on the books, I guess it was the 70s. They, they started increasing the penalty. So if you got caught for heroin trafficking federally, you could do 30, 40. You could go to jail for the rest of your life. That means guys are more cooperative to flipping. So, you know, it's one thing to go to jail for a couple of years for a hijacking. It's another, you know, they got your balls in a vice for 30 years. The, the thought process is, this, well, this guy could flip. He's not going to hold up. When he's facing that type of time, you know, anybody in their 30s, 40 years old, you go to jail for the rest of your life, they give you 30 years. So a lot of the old timers like the Chin, Vincent the Chin Gigante and Paul Castellano, also one of those wiretaps, Ruggiero was talking about the Chin and Paul got together and they said, anybody involved with drugs, they're going. Like they're not Mm going to have an investigation. Their names get mentioned with drugs, they're going. So. Did Big Paul know the guy? I mean, I would think it would be next to impossible for him not to know exactly I mean, that where the money is coming from. You know, you can only make so much money from hijacking or loan sharking, and 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 some of the some of the old timers around uh, Big Paul. I can't think of the guy's name. Was an old timer was into heroin because, and he stopped. And then when Gotti came, and then when Gotti took over, I think it's from Sammy the Bull or somebody went to this guy and says, "Remember what you used to do." Start doing that again because we need money. So oh, it's oh, one wow. of those things. It's it's they turn a blind eye to it, and, and but they're going to take the money from it. But it's 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 you know it's a catch twenty two. Make as much money as you can, but if you get caught out of bounds, 
you're going. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so in December of 85, Delacroix dies of cancer. And like I said before, he was really the only one that was holding the Castellano haters back. And it was kind of looking like there was going to be a war within the Gambino crime family. And Castellano was already suspicious of Gotti, so Gotti decided it was now or never. Castellano was going to kill Gotti unless Gotti got to – unless, 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 unless Gotti got to Castellano first. Oh, you did it in two. In, um, in case you don't know, Bill told me to start, like, holding up fingers and counting every time he stammers and stutters through something. Hung up on something. Well, it happens with me a lot. So, so, so I've been doing that, and that's what that is, in case you're wondering. So, so in addition, in addition to Big Paul having this problem, right, with Gotti's guys and, and Delacroach holding them back, um, you got to remember, Big Paul had one, maybe at least one or two federal cases drop on him just be, just, just before he was killed. So big P got big Paul. I, I, I he was in his late sixties or early seventies, right? He's living out in Staten Island. He's got this thing going on. You know, his family life is in the shambles because he's, he's having sex with the maid. And I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, exactly how, how that happened, but that's going on. He's a diabetic. And he's got these federal cases going on. He's not a young man. So he's like, oh, I'll get to Gotti's guys. I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's saying, well, this is going to play itself out. After Christmas, I'm going to clean house or whatever. And, and Gotti beat him, just beat him to the punch. Gotti was a hell of a lot younger, a lot more cunning. You know what I mean? You talk big Paul at this stage in his life is a businessman. John Gotti's a gangster. And right. Gotti had the right people listening to him. He was able to go on to support because a lot of guys in the different crews really weren't thr- thrilled with Big Paul because I think he he um, wanted more money from them, was like increasing whatever it was, the percentages and the envelopes he was getting every month. And he was more into construction. He didn't, you know, he really he really wasn't sympathetic to the, to the rank and file guys. And that's how Gotti was able to stage that coup. Right. And he was and he wouldn't. Um... Yeah, and, and the thing is, I mean, it would be one thing if you're raising the percentages or whatever, if you're going to the clubs and hanging out with your guys. But he's not doing that. He's he's just sit, sitting there in his in his mansion or sitting there in his office at his poultry plant and everything, just saying, "Give me money, give me money, give me money. Do this, do that, do that." But I'm not going to come hang out with you because I'm above you. And that that's that's ultimately what you know. Really, that's the majority of what rubbed people the wrong way about Castellano. Yeah, and, and it enables um, Gotti and his guys, Angelo, and to, to drive that wedge. And again, the guys that were that really made that come together was you got to remember, like the real tough guys, the captains was Roy DeMeo, He's dead, right? And they kind of broke up his crew. Those guys from Murder Machine out in Brooklyn. So Gotti through Angelo Ruggiero was able to go to Frank DeChico, who was very well respected out in Brooklyn, and. Sammy had a heavy crew in Brooklyn and he was able to convince them to come over his side. <laughs> you know, a lot of things could have went wrong if, right. if, if Gotti didn't, Gotti had the firepower to get to Paul, but he needed that support to bring other guys mm-hmm. into line. Because of the fact Paul, that DeCicio, DeCicio and Gravano were Castellano guys. 
And especially to Chico. Chico was very close with Paul. Uh, Yeah, and Gravano, too, because um, Sammy talks about in his book and and in interviews that one time Big Paul, you know, gave him a compliment. He said, you know, Sammy, not only are you a racketeer, meaning you're running unions and and running businesses, but you're also Mm -hmm. a thug, which which is very helpful to a guy like Big Paul because not only is he an earner, but at the drop of the hat, he'll go and kill somebody and get it done. So... You know, yeah. that, that's a guy you want to keep close to you if you need him. Absolutely. So um, Gotti decided that he should be the replacement for, um, you know, for Castellano. And he, he saw himself as the embodiment of what the mafia was, you know, was supposed to be. You know, of while, course he did. Yeah. So well, while killing a boss like a is a big a no-no, you know, it. It it can happen with the blessing of other bosses, but this is something that Gotti didn't have. You know, the the other the, the other four crime family bosses would would weren't going to approve of this. So no, but but and but the way he was able to get away with it for so long was the only real boss that was left in the street that didn't get swept up in the commission case and all the other big cases was the chin. Vincent the Chin Gigante, they call him the West Side, the West Side, or the Genovese crime family. You got to remember, Percival, he, wound up, he, he wound up, he wound up getting going down as a result of Sammy Gravano's te- testimony as well. Yeah, but years, years later, but but, but Gotti probably would have gotten dealt with if the Lucchese's were intact, the Columbos were intact, if their bosses weren't either away or in the fight of their lives in those big cases that Giuliani brought against the mob. Gotti really didn't have to worry about retaliation other than the chin. You know, it was only one group of guys. And early on, they had a meeting with the chin and they said, well, we don't know who killed Paul, but um, we're going to investigate it ourselves." And supposedly the chin told Gotti, someone's going to have to answer for Paul. And while this is going on shortly after big Paul is killed, Angelo Ruggiero did not like Anthony Gaspi Casso. They had a falling out over a drug deal or something. And, and um, Gotti, I don't know if Gotti sanctioned it, but Angelo Ruggiero used a couple of guys to try to kill Gaspipe, and the hit went sideways. And Gaspipe now has got a hard-on for these guys, and Gaspipe gets together with the chin, and that's how Frank DeChico gets killed. Gaspipe, right. through his guys, put a bomb underneath this car. You know, it's it's guys in the street. At some point, you can get to the chin was very difficult to kill because he kept at odd hours. He was always well, surrounded by people. I had um I had Justicio um Chico Chico Chico. I I had him. I had him. It, from the research that I have in, in my notes and everything, that hit that took out the Chico was intended for Gotti. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it was. It, okay. It, it was because Gotti was supposed to be there that day, and but but you got to realize something. What the Chin was doing, and with Gas Pipe, they were going around bumping off a lot of the heavy hitters close to Gotti to weaken him, so it would be easier to get to him. So there was another big heroin trafficker who was who was supposedly a, a cold blooded hit a cold blooded hitman, um, Eddie Lino. So what Gas Pipe does is from um, the Lucchese's, he hires the mafia cops, um, Caracappa and Eppolito, 
They go to pull Eddie Lino over. He thinks the cops are pulling him over. They kill him. Um, who else? They killed. They killed a couple of guys. Um, I can't think of the guy's name. Is Bartholomew? I can't think of his name. Uh, oh, Bobby Borrell, Borriello. That's another guy that was close to Gotti. He was one of his bodyguards. They kill him. So what they're trying. Sammy even admits now that he had a target on his back. So what, what the chin was doing with the help of gas pipe, they were they were get, going after taking out a lot of Gotti's hitmen and heavy hit earners and heavy hitters to weaken him, that it would be that much easier to get to him. Right on. Okay. So, so now, um, now we're getting up to the, the hit. <laughs> the hit. Um, probably dude, the- I love how he calls the guy the chin, dude. I, dude, I'm just thinking of like big trouble in little China or something. Every time you are saying the chin, Vic, I mean, I know they called him that because, Obviously, something else, but it just makes me think of like a weird kung fu movie going on <laughs> when you say the chin. <laughs> well, the thing with the chin was he he spoke to very few people, and if you turned up on a wiretap saying his name, he'd have you killed. So oh, if you I don't reference it. him, you had to point to your chin or say that guy or my aunt Julia. But yeah. if you turned up on a wiretap saying his name and it didn't, he name. didn't care what family you were from, he was going to have you whacked. You were dead, yeah. Yeah. No, I, mean, I just – but they're, they're just calling this guy the chin because I, I picture the guy you're talking about as like a big, greasy Italian mob guy. You know what I mean? But when you, when you call him the chin, though, that just makes me think of those old kung fu movies from the 70s <laughs> that I'm sure we've all watched at least once or twice. <laughs> Now, an interesting... Anyway, that's just how my mind works. I'm sorry. Interesting side note here, Vic. Um, Our episode 26 um, is by far... Yeah, I'm going there again. By far, um, by far, by an overwhelming majority is our most listened to episode. Don't know why, but it it just is. But but it's James Keene and um, Larry Hall. And... James Keene was a little, uh, you know, a drug dealer who went into prison and they, they made him a deal that if he went and got a confession out of serial killer Larry Hall, that he would, um, you know, he would walk. And so he went into the Springfield um, mental facility that, that really. For white boys. <laughs> that really bad, that really, and it's a really heavy prison. And Gigante was there at the time and he actually had interaction with um you know with James Keene and everything because James Keene was also Italian and you know he, he wanted with him but James Keene was there for other reasons he was undercover and nobody knew it and everything and it just it's just it's interesting tie in that episode comes up a lot it does in, in in other cases that we do and i was really shocked you know when we were doing the Gravano case to to hear it's like okay, oh, we're referencing episode twenty six again. <laughs> again, but um, if you're not familiar with that story, that's one you might want to check out because that's a really uh, Springfield. Story. So in the in the federal sis, federal prison system, there's there's only a couple of um, hospitals, prison hospitals, and, and and the big one is in Springfield, Missouri, and there's another one in. Bunter, North or South Carolina. I think there's one other medical facility, but that's that's where they'll ship like the older guys that are having health problems or someone needs surgery or some type of treatment or testing. They'll go they'll go to Springfield or Bunter. Bunter or Butner? 
But it's just an interesting side note because, I mean, that it's just so weird how it's just like I'm doing research on something that's like, oh, oh, all of a sudden there's another reference to episode 26. And I totally wasn't expecting it on these two episodes, but there yeah. it was. Uh, everything's, <laughs> everything is intertwined, man. That's how life works. You know yeah. what I mean? So, everything um, is intertwined. Yeah. So, so, but the, but, so Gotti decided that, you know, he's going to take Castellano down. And in his mind, it was kill or be killed. And he was probably right. But the, the plan that he hatched was um, brilliant. Um, Ruggiero, at Gotti's request, approached Sammy Gravano, and this is where the two episodes are going to start um, coinciding. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll put time codes in it. Just skip ahead. <laughs> no, don't skip ahead. Because there's a different, different side of the story. All right. Then. So, um, so Sammy Gravano, like we said, was a Castellano guy, and he was, um, he was also the 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 the, Gam, uh, the Gambino family, as well as the entire U.S. Oh, mafia. I was only one. Damn as it. well as the U.S. Mafia's, um, he was he was the most feared hitman at the time, and he told Sammy or Sammy, he told Sammy. <sighs> Ruggiero told Sammy that Gotti was going to take out Castellano, and um, Sammy was all in after consulting with Frank DeCicio, DeCicio, who, who was also Castellano's underboss. All right, then. So they decided to, to go out with it. And the plan, the actual plan, you know, the, the setting up the plan, putting everything together, that was Gotti. But the actual execution, the plan, no, the Sammy. Oh. Now, Sammy put that whole thing together from, and I've watched a couple of interviews and I've read a lot of stuff. Gotti oh, kind of wanted to run it, and and uh, DeChico told Gotti, Sammy's been involved in multiple hits. He was involved in in the Colombo Wars. Let Sammy put it together. Sa- well, Sammy, I think, was the guy that put the John had Angelo go out and send right. out. That's, that's what I meant. That's what yeah. I meant. Yeah, um, but, yeah, I, but yeah, Sammy the, the put plan the was Sammy. together and, and the guys yeah. in motion. And the, the plan that Sammy came up with was just brilliant. I mean, I mean, it was, it was foolproof. And, Is this what we talked about last week? Because yes, it was. <laughs> yes, that's, that's where we are now. So, uh, the, the, uh, oh God. So the, I mean, it was, it was foolproof. The case was unsolved for a long time, which, you know, we're going to get to. So here we are on December 16th, 1985. Gotti learns that Paul Castellano was going to have dinner at Sparks Steakhouse in Manhattan. Vic, have you ever eaten there? No. It's out of my price range. Out of your price range. Okay. <laughs> I was just curious. I had to is, ask. Is that one of those places that serves like three month old steak that's been sitting in a closet and they just cut the mold off and cook it for you? They, they age their beef and it's, you know, everything. I'm, I'm guessing if it's like any of the more expensive steakhouses in New York, it's, you know, the potato is $14. And if you yeah. want, you know, grilled, it's all, it's all about the steak. The, the whole, that- the whole, the whole dry aging thing though, just baffles me because <laughs> I mean, like basically you're taking a, a ribeye, which is a great cut of steak and you're putting it in a closet. No, it's refrigerated. It's it's no, not no, 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 dude. The dry aging that I've seen, dude. People do it like in non-refrigerated places. Not the places in New York, because because like especially in the theater district, you have some of these places where the meat is in the window. 
yeah. and it's in a refrigerated case that faces the glass. So, yeah. And, yeah. and they've got the temperature. It's in refrigerated. My dad was a butcher. Um, yeah, um, I mean, aged meat is delicious. I just, the, I mean, the, the stuff it. that I've seen on TV, and like I said, again, I've only seen it on TV, and that has his, to be true. His dad was a butcher. I know. His about. dad was a butcher. <laughs> you know, dude, I can't even remember the thing from Tommy Boy that I was just going to do. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so. Hashtag, I digress this time, and yeah, we're moving on. <laughs> So it, now it was go time, and Castellano and his underboss, Tommy Bellotti, he had left um, his attorney's office, and they went to dinner. And it was 10, de- it was ten days shy of Christmas, and the, so the streets would be full of Christmas shoppers. So when shots rang out, so there would be chaos, and they'd be able to slip away, and that's exactly what happened. So Castellano and Bellotti arrived, and they parked um, on the street, and at one point they had, you know, same. Sammy and um, John Gotti were in the car on the other side of the street, and at one point they pulled up like right, like right side by side with, uh, but across the street from right. Gotti and Gravano. And Gravano, mm. in interviews, said, "If he looks over, I'm just going to shoot him right now. If he looks over, but but Castellano didn't look over. Wow. Um, yeah. So because uh, because if wow, holy sh, wow." Yeah, Right. <laughs> so, um, so, um, Gotti, wow. Gotti on a two-way radio, um, he let the, the four shooters know that the target had, had, had arrived. There were seven other people there too, backup shooters, you know, spotters and stuff like that. There were a total of 11 people in addition to Gotti and Gravano that were on the scene. But this was Sammy's plan, right? Is that, that's yes. what we- yeah. Yes. Because, yeah, because Gotti couldn't have thought of something this injury. <laughs> but, Jesus um, Christ. And it's snipers, yeah, snipers inside, and so people big, inside. Big Paul was going to meet a couple of captains inside of Sparks. So there was more to that plan because inside Sparks Steakhouse, and they were the older captains, and Frank Chico was already there with a handgun. So his job was. The whole, the whole thing was the whole thing was set up when Chico found out that Big Paul wanted to meet a bunch of them for dinner. That's when he said, "Okay, it's on. This is the opportunity we've been waiting for." This is it. And the Chico got there early and greeted the guys that were going to who had no idea this was going to happen. Right. Before Big Paul gets killed out front, he basically lets these guys know, "I've got a gun. Don't move. Just sit down and relax." And basically right. told them what time it was. So that they didn't get involved from the inside because the whole thing was was predicated about this dinner, mm. basically like the Last Supper, and DeChico basically handled the guys that were inside the steakhouse not to get involved. Oh, okay. See? I didn't. I didn't come across that. That wasn't um, in the notes. Nope. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, but the fourth, That's how they the fourth year, the sparks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah. But, but they, they didn't, the, the shooters didn't even know who they were whacking. They just know that they were whacking. And when the whacker gets in order to whack, they whack. <laughs> I think they knew. I mean, I know Sammy says he was not sure, or, but I mean, especially they the knew. guys, maybe the backup shooters didn't know. Maybe yeah. the backup shooters who were supposed to, you know, kill anybody that got involved. But I mean, obviously, the guys that are going to pull the trigger, the guys that are rushing up to a car. Come on, they they, 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 they know, know who Paul. they're shooting. They know they're, not, 
They know the yeah. car Bilotti drives. They know the car, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're not yeah. going to run the car and go, oh, my God, this is the boss, and then run away. No, they, gonna, they, dude, they, I was they, paid they to shoot this guy. It doesn't matter who it is. So um, so they they were all dressed in white trench coat with Russian, the big Russian fur hats. And they, they you know, so that any witnesses who got to look at them, they'd only be able to just describe the outfits, <laughs> like Russian <laughs> hitmen. Yes, that was a brilliant move. Mm-hmm. So when Castellano arrived, Gotti radioed the other shooters that it was on and described the car to him. And once they were parked, the four men, two on each side of the car, they opened fire. And Castellano and Bellotti were dead in the street. You know, the boss and the underboss of the Gambino family both taken out at the same time. The shooters jumped in the car with Gotti and Gravano and they drove off. Yeah, and <laughs> this is a big deal, not just not just to the mafia world, but to the general public and the media and law enforcement as well. They were worried that Chicho and Gravano were going to go on the war path looking for whoever had done this, and everyone was worried about the possibility of a mafia war in the streets that hadn't been se- something that had been seen since Prohibition, and um, and nobody suspected Gravano and Chicho's involvement because they were like. A, said they were both Castellano guys, so it was the perfect plan. It was. It was a beautiful plan. So, right, God but, will- obviously, but obviously as the days go by and Gravano and Chico aren't running around looking to see who did this, right, it became exactly. apparent in the organization that, okay, you know, this is what uh, it knows. You know, and- law enforcement didn't know. You know, the well, they, they put it. They put it together a little bit later. They yeah, you know, they they figured it out. Yeah, but, um, like anything else, right? But um, but over overnight, you know, Gotti became the premier Gambino mobster. There was a power vacuum, and Gotti was stepping in and taking over. And Gotti was voted in as the new boss by the captains. He was only forty five years old when he took over, and that's the, I believe that's the youngest crime boss that there's ever been. Am I right about that, Vic? It's possible. I, I don't know that to be true, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he was in his forties when when he took when he took the reins. So I I would say one of the younger ones at the very least. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 forty nine, and I'm just a stupid podcaster. I'm gonna make like you a, an offer you can't. God, God he's forty five, and God he's forty five, and running the Gambino family. Yeah, but see, <laughs> Bill, dude, you don't kill people. That's the difference, right there, that, that you know of. <laughs> you don't kill people, dude. <laughs> so um I know you well enough to know that, dude. That that's the difference between your ambition and his ambition. He's his ambition was I'll do whatever it takes to get to the top. You were like, I'll do whatever it takes to get me as high as I can get in this life. <laughs> and that's me too, dude. I am I am the same guy. I am the guy that I'll do as Little as it takes to get me as far along as life as I can get. So, Chico, yeah, anyway, I digress. Chico, Moving on. Chico becomes Gotti's underboss, and with Gravano as the number three guy, and that wouldn't last long because, like we talked about earlier, there was a hit that was meant for Gotti. Um, the it was likely put up by the Genovese family. They took De Chico out, and um, Sammy became. The new underboss. Now, now the press loved Gotti. 
law enforcement wanted him, and he had multiple targets on him from mafia detractors, law enforcement, and he ultimately became public enemy number one, all while living on camera, high on the hog, wearing expensive suits with a cunning grin, getting his manicures done every day, getting his hair, you know, expensive hairstyle done every day. And and, and this is different from him because he, he was just a street thug before, but now he's just this chic celebrity and everything, you know, like a fashion <laughs> mogul or something. And yeah, he's he, a narcissist. So this is, this is, this is where the name, the Dapper Don comes in. Uh, dude, I always thought that was. I always thought when everybody says the Dapper Don, I always thought they were talking about Donald Trump. No, no, the newspapers, especially like the the, the New York, um, the Daily News or the New York Post, I mean, they do it with sports figures in New York. Anybody that rises to anything, they're going to give you a nickname and they're going to beat it to death. So yeah, they think the Dapper Don. Then when he started beating yeah. court cases. Became the Teflon Don. The Teflon and, Don. That's, yeah. that's what so, I remember. That, that's just New York. You yeah. know, it's um, you know, once once you get into their crosshairs, they're going to give you a nickname. Right. All right. So he he became a <laughs> a tyrant, and he wouldn't he wouldn't hesitate to admonish any you know anybody. He, he would he would just basically cut you down verbally, cut you down in public, right right after patting you on the back and saying good job. He'd tell you to fuck off. <laughs> Dude, everybody does that. I'll be like, hey, good job today. Now fuck off. Get out of my life. <laughs> so he was ruthless, and if you pissed Gotti off, you were dead. And Gotti didn't care about the consequences because he thought that he was untouchable. Well, you know, that happens. So in 1985, Gotti had a disagreement with a refrigerator repairman named Ramal Pikesk. Pikesk? Yeah, Did I say that right, Vic. I don't know. I I don't know how to pronounce it, but I know I know what you're talking about. <laughs> what 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 is nice calling? What is calling Pike? What is calling Pike? Calling Pike. So, um, Gotti had double double parked at a bar in Queens, and he had blocked um, Pike in. Pike, not realizing who it was initially, started honking his horn, which pissed Gotti off. He told Pike, you know, to go fuck himself, but. Pike stood up to him, which pissed Gotti off even more. So Gotti and his guys start roughing Pike up, and they stole his money. So Pike calls the police, and still not realizing who it was, he files the police reports. Gotti's arrested for assault and robbery. And two years later, that went to trial. But by then, Pike had figured out who it was. And when the, when it, the case went to trial... Pike wound up with a case of amnesia, and the case was dismissed, and Gotti walked. <laughs> it's funny how that happens. <laughs> yeah, you know he what? Any, yeah, he didn't want any part of it. It was a state charge. So, I mean, and and the, yeah. I think it happened in Queens or Manhattan. They're not going to put him in witness protection. And, you know, the guy just didn't want his life upended. So, you know, he, he claimed amnesia, and the case got dismissed. I'm surprised it even went to court. Because I mean, you would think that God. Well, they're going to keep pushing. You know, it, it's it's funny. If it would have been anyone else, say for argument's sake, you know, you don't want to press charges on somebody for something, they'll bust your balls a little bit, but ultimately they'll say, "All right," and that'll be it. They went forward with that because of who John Gotti was, and they got embarrassed because the oh, guy okay. was not gonna. The guy was not gonna give them what they wanted, and they looked foolish. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, dude. You know, there's. I want to live. 
or I want to do the right thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, seriously, these people know who I am. They know who my family is. Right. I want to live. So go fuck yourself. I'll just go to jail. <laughs> Whatever you want to do to me. I'd rather live. So in 1986, Gotti and six other family members were charged under the RICO Act, which racketeer influenced yes. corrupt organization. It was street level stuff, loan sharking, gambling, hijacking, et cetera. But all of these charges, if, if he was found guilty on all of them, he could go down for 40 years if convicted. <clears throat> dude, see, that's why I love the RICO Act, dude, because all you got to do is bust one street little punk, right? And get him to write out the whole organization. You got this guy. Now you can charge everybody. Right. And that's what's great about Rico, dude. I love. So he was confident in all the interviews. That anyway, he was gonna, I digress were, again. Sorry. <laughs> they were going to win. And in March of 87, he was acquitted because Sammy Gravano knew of a juror that he could get to. And Gotti authorized Gravano to pay him 60 grand. And worst case scenario, they'd get a hung jury. But this guy went above and beyond. He convinced the rest of the jurors mm. the case was too thin and that Gotti and his guys, you know, they, there's no way we're going to get a conviction here. So, so <laughs> instead of a hung jury, he's found not guilty on all charges. That's, that's money well spent. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah they, they fixed a couple of cases like that. <laughs> oh yeah, he does it again later in, in my notes. He does he does it again. Um, in in 1989, there was a Gambino crime family associate, Louis DeBono. Uh, he was successful in construction, and he had even helped build the you know like he was instrumental in building the World Trade Center. Um, oh, he well, that's kind of me. <laughs> he mysteriously disappeared and informants called the FBI with a tip saying that he was dead and left in a very public place and that finding him shouldn't be a problem. His body was found at a World Trade Center parking lot. He was in his car and, and he had been dead for two days. And DeBono was a lesson. Oh God. Yeah. Gotti, had him, Gotti had him whacked to say that if you don't do the right things, there'd be fatal consequences. I think he was, if we're talking about the same guy, Gotti called him in to go over something with him. And I guess the and, guy and got blew him off. Yeah. But I mean, but I guess he got spooked. I mean, maybe he thought he was going to get killed. And, and ultimately what he wound up doing was pissing Gotti off. And um, they were looking for him for a while. And um, I think it was on one of Sammy Gravano's podcasts. He ran into somebody and he just brought the guy's name up. And he goes, oh, yeah, he's over in his office in the World Trade Center. And, and uh, Sammy passed that information on to Gotti, who sent a crew of guys. And, um, yeah, that that, um, that lower concourse parking lot in the World Trade Center, I mean, um, in 93, that's where the guy, um, Al-Qaeda operatives, tried to knock down the World Trade Center the first time. They put a oh, wow. down there with, Same- a, with a fertilizer bomb, but it just blew a hole lower into the concourse, and they were able to repair it and, you know go right. along with their lives. But yeah, people don't realize like that there was a tremendous underground parking lot in those buildings. Okay. Well, I'm glad you clarified that, that it was, I, I didn't even make the connection that it was underneath. I just assumed I was thinking like parking lot on the side of the building, but there, there's not enough room on the sides of buildings for parking lots. That's why they have to be underground, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, there was a, <laughs> a big facility well, there. 
Well, that that's why his story earlier was like, oh, he was double parked. That means like, all right, in New York, and <laughs> this is my, um, how do I say it? How I visualize the situation because I've never been there and I've never had to like double park on the street. But basically, like in New York, like you go to like a shop, right? Boom, you pull well, that- in, you park on, and then the next guy parks right next to you, but on the road. That is double parking, right? Well, yeah, because that, in New York, so New York, yeah, people park on the street. There's parking meters, right? You get a yeah. spot on the sidewalk. But there is, I mean, especially in like where I grew up and in like the outer boroughs, I mean, there's just no place to park. So what people will do is usually you bring a friend, one person sits in the car, the other person double yep. parks and runs into a store. I mean, and before crime really got bad, it was nothing to see people with their cars double parked and running. Because yeah. what happens is in New York, in addition to the cops, it'll give you a double parking ticket. They have the traffic enforcement agents, or we call them meter maids, and the meter they just roll up behind you and start banging you. And those tickets are expensive. I mean, probably yeah. now, I mean, when I was a cop, they were like 60, 70 bucks for a double parking ticket. God only knows what they are now. So, yeah, parking <laughs> is very tight in New York. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you know, the, the whole, yeah, that's it's. I don't know. For some reason, my mind went to what was just happening, and then you talked about the double parking thing, and was just like, "Yeah, dude, it's like you park on the road, and then people behind you are just sitting there honking their horn, and you're like, you know, <laughs> like, why aren't you moving?" Anyway. I drive a I drive a truck. Anyway, I, I, I drive I drive eighteen wheelers, and I have I've driven through New York City on I ninety five and other highways going in and out of there. But I couldn't imagine having to make a delivery in Manhattan. God, that would be huh? It happens all the time. The big supermarkets. Oh. That's yeah. It's, it's a big rig. Oh, I know, I know. But I I can just I, it it's got to be a nightmare. But it is. <laughs> It is. Yeah, I would imagine. Anyway, not the point. So in in 1990, John O'Connor, he was a New York City union leader. He crossed paths with the Gambino family on a construction deal. And as a result, O'Connor was shot multiple times. He did survive, but Gotti was charged with the hit. O'Connor was was subpoenaed by um, Gotti's attorney, to testify for the defense. <laughs> well, he knew he wasn't going to. Yeah, he, you know, he knew where it came from, and he wasn't going. Right. He wasn't going to play ball with them, with the with the prosecution. So he said that he never talked to Gotti, and he had no idea who it was who had shot him. So Gotti was found not guilty on this case, and it embarrassed the the government. This should have been a slam dunk attempted murder, but it blew up in their faces. And Gotti had gotten to O'Connor either by threat or bribe. And this was when Gotti earned the name the Teflon Don. Yes. And in this case, not on top of getting to O'Connor, they had also gotten to another juror with with a with a bribe. <laughs> so, dude, dollar bills make the world go round, man. So, at when he came out, he was met by thousands of people who cheered cheered for him. The tabloids loved him too, and he loved the attention. <laughs> and the press was an unwill an un an unwitting ally and they were propping right, him up. that was two <laughs> they were propping him up for the in the public opinion you know of the people so 
this benefits Gotti for that, but it also benefits the press because Gotti sold newspapers and he got TV ratings. So yeah. Gotti, Gotti was known to just Sorry. flip cash to homeless people on the street on, on, on camera, of course. Of and, course. And he would fund block parties like all the time, you know, so he was basically, as far as the people were concerned, he was Robin Hood. Dude, where was I during this? Wait, when was this going on? I was probably like 10. Late 80s. Oh, late 80s? Dude, I was 18. <laughs> but the, the feds were getting pissed and Gotti became, you know, public enemy number one. <laughs> they knew positively that Gotti had been directly involved in five murders that they knew of and the feds were positive that there was more. Of course. And, but all it took for you to get on Gotti's radar, which is never a good thing, was to disagree with him. Or better yet, or, or better yet, let him think that you disagree with him. Robert DiBernardo was a very good moneymaker for the Gambinos, and he made and distributed porn. He was, he was well-respected within the Gambino family, but word got to Gotti that DiBernardo uh, was being disloyal and disrespectful behind Gotti's back. So Gotti put a, a hit out on him, and Sammy Gravano even tried to talk him out of it, but Gotti wouldn't budge. So DiBernardo came to a meeting in Sammy's office. He offers DiBernardo a cup of coffee, and as he's making the cup, a, gun, a gunner came up from behind and shot DiBernardo in the back of the head, and the body was never found. <laughs> it, it, it's under fucking giant stadium with Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> So, well, I mean, sometimes they'll bury guys, or sometimes they'll they'll have family, or they they own a funeral home where, yes. you know, crematory. They'll burn them up, or usually, or they'll put them out, take them out in a boat, gun them, and, and dump them out at sea. Dump them out at sea, Dexter. Yes, sir. And actually, what you just said right there was how I. Well, Bill says I just broke the case that we were talking about, but. My dude, all right, this guy is murdering people, and his family owns a cemetery, and they couldn't find any of the bodies. Well, He's geez, talking about episode twenty-six, with Larry Hall. <laughs> I wonder where I wonder where the bodies are. His family owns a cemetery, like they're buried on top of graves. Yeah, how hard is it to? You? Either throw another body in a coffin with somebody when it's not an open casket thing or do this or do that. I'm like, dude, all the bodies are buried in his, you know, and then when you were, that just made me think when you were saying that, that made me think of that. Anyway, moving on. Hashtag I digress. So the, the feds were trying to, were trying everything to get Gotti, but he was always one step ahead of him, you know, and this is, this is just a, random thought from me, but maybe he had somebody within the organization on the payroll. Maybe. You think? think? No, you not think? the federal government. No? Okay. I, I was just I was just wondering. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, Bill, this well, was like this was like thirty years ago. This is not today. Uh, had, if it was today it'd be a different story. There was a there was a guy he was an ex NYPD cop. He was a detective, but he was retired or he was a and he had become a private investigator, and I know he had gotten arrested for being involved with something with Gotti. But as far as like active NYPD guys being involved, um, 
I mean, that was the Lucchese's more with, with um, the mafia cops, Caracapa and um, uh, Ippolito. And, and, and that, that was a warring faction with Gotti because Gaspipe was basically trying to, to have Gotti killed. All right, right on. But the the feds needed quality evidence, and soon a way to get it presented itself. In 1988, Gotti bought the Ravenite Social Club in Little Italy, and this became his base of operations where he would hold his meetings. And so the, the feds, they rented a nearby apartment where they got the video surveillance of Gotti and his top brass regularly coming and going from the Ravenite. So they were going <coughs> to... Excuse me. Well, so the, they the were, him, well, the way they got him is upstairs from the Ravenite, there was a, a former Gambino guy that had died, but his widow kept the apartment above the Ravenite. And you could go yep. out the back of the Ravenite and there was a staircase that went upstairs. So what Gotti would do is Gotti had a habit of having everybody come visit him at the club. What he would do is he would walk guys upstairs. He would give this woman a hundred bucks to get lost for an hour. And then they would have high level meetings because he knew downstairs in the social club, it was bugged. So they felt safe because this woman's husband was a former mob guy and now he's deceased and nobody, but what happened, what happened was through informants, they said, well, he's always going through the back and he's going upstairs. So the FBI was able to figure out that this woman whose husband was a, was a player at one time is deceased. They put two and two together and through wiretaps on her, they realized she was going because she never left the apartment. And I think that the one time that she left the apartment for a couple hours or she went away for a weekend or a, a short trip, they were able to go into her apartment, bug it. And that's how they catch Gotti. I think Chico's on one of those wiretaps. I know Frank Lacasio's on those wiretaps. I don't think Sammy was, but just Gotti being Gotti, you know, talking about, you know, what he wants to, you know, I, I know, I think one of those tapes he's talking about, I'll sever this guy's head. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, you know, he's, he's actually talking about the inner workings of the mob, which basically seals his fate because, you know, it's one thing to have someone say, do something, did something, but if they've got you on tape talking about it, how are you going to repute your own words? And basically yeah. that's where everything came down on him. That next case based on those tapes that were made up in that apartment on, um, I think it was Mulberry Street in the Ravenite upstairs is, is basically what sealed his doom. Yep. And, dude, uh, I love the name we, of that club though, dude. That Ravenite. the Ravenite, dude. It's just it sounds like some like sounds like a like, metal club. A goth sounds metal like, club. like yeah, like some new wave goth metal club or something, dude. I love the name of that club. It probably was nothing like that. But. No. But they, they had to sit on this evidence for a bit though. Because they wanted a time where all of the brass would be there at the same time so they could get them all with one quick swoop. And that happened after a while. Gravano had left town. It was a, it was a plan because this Gotti knew that the feds were getting close. So it's just like, okay, we want you out of town. So, um, so that if I get caught, you can step in and run things and they won't get you. So, um, so. Gravano left town, but he but he came back before he was supposed to because he missed his family. And no, um, <laughs> he was ordered back. If you li- if you listen to Sammy's, um, because what, he didn't get caught going to see his family. He got caught. He got caught at the Ravenite meeting, and that's yeah. where they grabbed him, Lacasio, 
and Gotti De Chico was already had had already been killed. Gotti, for whatever reason, I don't know, didn't think maybe the, maybe he jumped the gun, maybe the indictments weren't coming as quickly, or maybe he really thought that he needed a high level meeting. But God, because yeah, Sammy, I think was in Pennsylvania or upstate New York somewhere. He had grown a beard, trying to change his appearance, and then he was called back. That's how they were able to grab everybody in one fell swoop. But he didn't. But Gravano didn't want. He's like, when when he said, "Okay, come to the Ravenite," Gravano's like, "They're watching the Ravenite." Right. What was the purpose of me being in hiding all that time? Right. Right. If you're just going to have me come to the place where everybody's where they're watching everything that we do, and we're all going to be in the same place, but. You know, Sammy was loyal at that time. You know, at that time he was loyal, so he, he did what he was told. So, <laughs> um, so when as soon the, the the other brass was already there, Sammy was the last to arrive. And um, when he got there, they pounced. They they got Sammy as right as he was walking into the place, and then they then they swarmed the inside of the building. And um, Gotti, they're just sitting there at this point. They hadn't gone upstairs yet, but at this point, they're they're sitting there at a table. You know, and and Gotti just says, you know, with this shit-eating grin on his face, he's like, "Hey, we need to be seeing you eventually. Can we at least finish our coffee?" <laughs> <laughs> so, one FBI agent said, "Sure, go ahead. We'll wait. We'll be going home. You won't be." <laughs> wow. So, so after that, the arrests were made, and they were going to try to put all of them away for life. So, Gotti, Gravano, and a couple others that, that Vic has already mentioned they were um indicted for charges from racketeering to murder including the hit on post castellano which had come out in the um in the the tapes um the press and the public everybody was eating it up and they were rooting for guy to beat another charge (laughs) (laughs) but but in, in pre-trial hearings, the audio tapes were played, and up until that point, the media and the feds believed that Gravano and Gotti were close friends and partners. But these tapes proved otherwise because you'd often hear Gotti talking shit about Gravano in his absence. So you want to elaborate on that a little bit, Vic? Uh, there's, there's two sides of that story. I mean, Sam, Sammy's side is, you know, he, he Sammy says that that John had come to him after they were arrested and said, listen, you know, I, I need you to take the fall. I'm going to, I need to be in the street. I need to be running the family. I want you to take the fall. And Sammy looked at it was he was talking like that, that maybe he was looking to get him killed and trying to garner support. And then there were those, there's other mobsters in that family that say, no, Sammy's making this whole thing up. Um, again, I don't know. The truth is somewhere in the middle, but from whatever happened, him and Sammy had a falling out. And Sammy decided to cooperate and, you know, the rest is history. John, John went, John went down the rest of his life. He died of cancer in a federal prison. And Sammy got, Sammy got, I think like five years of, 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 you know, of everything. And then he got out and then Sammy got jammed up again in early 2000 in that ecstasy case. And now he's out and looks like he turned his life around and he's got a podcast and, you know, He's making money legitimately and, you know, he served his time. I mean, you can't keep somebody in jail forever, you know? Right. So, you know, it's, right. it, it is what it is. Exactly. Yeah, no, totally. Because we talked about this last week. It's like, dude, he did his time. Did his time. You know, he did his time. He served his debt to society. Who okay. cares what he did? I mean, that's what he got sentenced yeah. to. I mean, you just, you just he served his time. 
and he should be a free man. You know, you, I mean, seriously. Vic, Vic, you just did you pretty much did the short, short version of the rest of the story. So let's go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah, and I, I, I managed to get a Spaceballs reference into this one. Hell yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, but, but he, um, you know, I mean, the, this couple, couple other, you know, just little things and everything. Um, when Gotti was convicted, you know, found guilty. Um, one of the FBI agents said the, the Teflon was gone. Gotti was covered with Velcro and all of these charges stuck. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um, he was sent oh, to a, max, a maximum security prison in Marion, Illinois. For white boys? What... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> dude. You started that a little bit ago and dude, and I'm never going to let that one go. <laughs> but this, this is one of the toughest prisons in the country. It's, it's, it's actually Todd. It's the one that Joseph Paul Franklin was so terrified of being sent to. Oh, but why? It because a- it was for white boys. <laughs> well, no, Marion, Marion is a maximum. It's an older facility. And before they built ADX Florence out in Colorado, the Supermax, um, that's where they sent, you know, people that they didn't, you know, restrict their movement if they screwed up, they they had a really bad shoe or solitary confinement. Yep. So, at, at, in its time, Marion was considered the worst or the most secure of all federal prisons before uh, they put the Florence out in Colorado. So, dude, Colorado—the yeah. entire state of Colorado—should be a fenced-in prison. <laughs> so, just um, saying, <laughs> just saying. And, I mean, dude, it's like the flattest state. Well, okay. No, it's not. Fucking Rocky Mountains, man. You're thinking of Kansas. Kansas, Colorado. What's the fucking difference? Mountains. All right. No, dude. No, actually, I've. You, never mind. I digress. Nebraska. But, um,. And June 10th of 2002, John Gotti died of cancer. The Catholic Church denied him of a funeral mass, but his family carried on with a funeral of his own. He was put in a gold casket, and his funeral was a circus with hundreds of vehicles in the procession. People lining the streets to, you know, for a view. People from, you know, members of the other four crime, crime families as well as the Gambino family. They all attended. And he was put in a mausoleum in Queens next to his son, Frankie. And so, but when the, when the chips fell, people began to admit that Gotti was the most famous mob boss, but he was also one of the most incompetent as well. (laughs) And, and after Gravano's defection, quite a few other higher ups began coming forward, likely because they wanted out and they, and they, Figured they could get a deal, but John John Gotti's arrogance and incompetence brought the the mop brought down the mafia's empire. It still exists, but it's a but it's a shell of what it once was. Um, and by yeah, you mean Gravano's whatever you mean like so Gravano turned rat, so everybody turned rat. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> they didn't. No, they didn't. You know, no, it's it's not that. It's it's again. It's, 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 the it's the it's the sentencing guidelines. People, you, you got to realize something. The federal system is different than going to jail. The state. Um, oh, I know. The federal government has way more resources to go after you. Oh yeah. And once you're sentenced, so say for argument's sake, you live in New York, and 
you get convicted of a federal crime. Well, you're not going to serve your jail time. I mean, it would suck enough to serve your jail time in, in, in the New York State prison system. But the furthest it can, it can ship you is 400 miles. If you get convicted of a, a crime federally in New York, you could wind up in California or Texas or Big Sandy down. And I think Big Sandy is in um, Kentucky. I mean, there's just so many federal prisons and they're in the middle of nowhere. There's no place really for your relatives to stay. They make it a pain in the ass for you. So guys don't want, you know what I mean? It's like people will just forget about you. It's like you cease to exist. So that's mm-hmm. a Again, the sentencing guidelines are so severe that no one, no one really, you know, wants to do time anymore. Because it's not like the old days. Plus, the federal system used to be considered club fed. Nowadays, you have all the cartel guys and like really dangerous people yeah. in the federal prison system. Now, it's not, you know, yeah. you, like in the old days where they'd send you to Danbury, you were playing tennis or learning gardening. I mean, some of these places are hellholes right. in the middle of or, nowhere. Or, or slicing garlic with a razor blade. Yeah, <laughs> slicing garlic with a razor blade to make it so thin. It was so delicious. <laughs> but um but yeah that i mean it but the one thing that i said earlier is just like okay yeah when when they went from one extreme to the other as far as bosses were concerned they went from one bad boss who was in a, he was effective but he was still a bad boss in castellano to a guy that was 10 times worse not effective and you know, I think the, he was effective. I think. I think. I mean, no, the he guy's did what he wanted. And the crew, he just brought a lot of heat. You got to realize something. The federal government, Gotti, step took that position at the wrong time because that's when the federal government was putting a lot of money and resources into going after the mob. You got to remember, when J. Edgar Hoover used to ignore the mob, right? J. Edgar, J. Edgar Hoover dies in the seventies. There's turmoil in the FBI. They're going through different directors. And then they finally figure out that that RICO law, which was which was originally written to go after uh, corporations, can be used as the mafia because the mafia is a corporation. There's it is. Right. right. So Gotti kind of st- – if if John Gotti was got John Gotti before, you know, before – during J. Edgar Hoover, he probably would have been just like Capone. Like they would have gotten him eventually, but – I, I, I think he just kind of stepped into that role at the wrong time. The federal government was like really taking organized crime seriously. They had all the tools, right? They were ready for him. I mean, they had just knocked down all the other bosses, right? With the commission case and uh, the pizza mm-hmm. connection case. So he just kind of stepped in at the wrong time. Did he make it easy for him? Yeah, in a lot of ways he did. But I don't think he was as incompetent as everybody thinks he was. I mean, did he make mistakes? Yeah, but every CEO or business guy does. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody makes a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But okay. yeah, say dude, I love hearing Vic's op- opinion on it because like when you look up shit on the internet, dude, you get like, this is what it was. I'm like, no, dude, I want to talk to somebody that was there or re- kind of well, there. there. You know, I know, <laughs> but you know what I mean though? But I'd rather talk to somebody like you and like fill in the details because like Bill said, well, you just brought us to the end, which is cool <laughs> because you threw in so many details that probably weren't in Bill's notes. And that, you did it a hell of a lot faster than I would have. <laughs> yeah. I dude, it just it just it made it all right, this is awesome. Okay, let's go. All right. Anyway, I digressed again. Not really, but still. <laughs> so um 
uh, do you have anything more on, on this, Vic? I mean, uh, um, I, I mean, I don't. when I was a detective, I mean, I worked in auto theft. Um, I was I operated out of a, a satellite office in the Bronx. Most of the organized crime cases um, involving the five families were in Brooklyn and Queens because you had a lot of the families that were involved in junkyards, salvage yards. Um, so our Queens and Brooklyn guys did a lot of mafia cases where we would get brought into later. Sometimes they would use us for surveillance because nobody knew who the hell we were. We were up in the Bronx. A lot of these mob guys didn't know who we were. We were like ghosts, right. you know, and we would show up. Um, yeah. Dealt with some of, the, some, some of the guys, some of the boys from way back when. Um, I had a wonderful 20-year career with the New York City Police Department. It's enabled me to yeah, you know, start a second career, you know, writing books. And, you know, I get to meet people and go on podcasts. And, you know, it's it's I've come full circle. I get to live vicariously through myself with my books. <laughs> and thank you for joining us so we can live vicariously through your stories as well. Because, Absolutely. damn, dude, you made that story so much more interesting than just the internet facts that Bill was going to spout. No, it's good. And cool. dude, don't get me, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, dude. I mean, I love our podcast, whatever, but it's always nice to have like, you know, you come on or someone that was. Well, I can provide historical content. Yes, exactly. Right. I mean, you could tell us how it really was. Not what we could find on the internet. You know what I mean? And dude, and I, I, I appreciate that. And dude, you made this one so much better. Like even the, the stuff that we double covered from the last episode, when you chimed in, I was like, all right, here we go. We're going to yeah, have a good time now. <laughs> because no, um, Vic's talking about stuff that he knows. I mean, this is how it was. And I love that. So thank you again for joining us. No, I can I put my so much. Yes, go ahead and plug, yeah, your, book, please. plug, um, plug your podcast. Yeah, yeah plug yeah. everything. Actually, send me all the information because when I edit this video down and put it on YouTube, I'll make a thing that goes across the bottom with all your well, I appreciate on that. It. Yeah, so just go to the Amazon book section, type in my name, Vic Ferrari, yep. like a car. All my books will come yep. up. They're $10 paperback, two ninety nine ebook download. And my podcast is actually named after my book. NYPD through the looking glass and oh, um, yeah. retired NYPD members. And we talk about, you know, our days and on patrol and organized crime. And I, I get to bring in guys from different units that can talk about the different things. Oh, thank you. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the podcast now it's on Spotify and uh, iTunes and everything else. Be sure to check it out. All right, hell yeah, dude! Yeah, I, I listened. I mean, there's only a there's only one episode on it so far, and I listened no, to it it's about. Uh, was it? There, you put a new one up? Yeah, I got I, I got an introduction one, and then I, I interviewed a guy. Oh, okay. That, yeah, the police academy one. That yeah. was that was that was really I I, I like that one. I, oh, you listened to it? Yeah, that was um that was a really good, uh, that was a really good story. I was entertained. You get you got a good thing going there. <laughs> you definitely do. Yeah, who knew, um, right? <laughs> so, um Yeah, dude, you're you're talking to the ultimate who knew guy right here. <laughs> because dude, so, Bill said dude, we have like how many what do we have now? What? What was it like on, on we have nine hundred and ninety subscribers yeah, right. or something? On on Twitter, yeah. On Twitter. Yeah, dude. I Wait. never would have thought that. <laughs> Bill showed me that. I'm like, what? 
Wow. I got to run. I got to take my dog out and I, and I got to, and I got to eat. All right, brother. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you so thank much you for so coming much on. For that was us. awesome. I, this, Guys, thank so you so far. much. When this is up, just please send me the links and I'll promote it on my end. I will, okay, it'll, dude. It'll, and go, actually, it'll go up Saturday. It'll go up Saturday. Excellent. Okay, guys, have a good weekend. All right, brother. You too. You too. Thanks Bye-bye. again, Thanks, brother. Thanks, Vic. Thank Bye, you guys. so much. Bye. So, um, so anyway, check up, check out our stuff on social media, um, our links, our Twitter, our Facebook and everything. Interact with us. We'll give you a shout out and, um, we'll, you know, have a great, great time with that one. I loved it. Oh but, yeah, dude. Um, that was so much fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you, if you like us, tell a friend, if you hate us, tell an enemy and, um, you know, just. <laughs> Rate, rate, review, and all that good stuff, and blah, 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 blah. Um, until next week, later. Cheers, everybody.